Well, you can be opening your Bibles to Genesis chapter 43, uh, where you remain in Genesis. And I'm going to do today what I said I would do, just not in as much detail as I thought I would do it in. Uh, yes, it's time for church for kids. So uh, please, if um, you have kids or are a kid, uh, and by kid we don't mean an animal, we mean a small human being. So uh, we just, that's a good little nickname for that. Um, I, as I started to say, I'm not going to do in as much detail as I thought, but I'm going to cover chapters 43 and 44. And, and I want you to realize the Bible is telling this story of the second going of the brothers of Joseph to Egypt because it is a picture of salvation. It's a picture of our journey towards salvation. It's a picture of our Savior. And it's, it's got these elements in it. So I just want to show you those elements in an overview sort of way. There's a lot of good detail in there. I still have to leave out. But uh, I want to read to you the first seven verses of chapter 43. And uh, I would appreciate if you would stand up with me and uh, let me do that. Just seven verses just to introduce these two chapters. Now the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy a little food. Verse 3, but Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. Israel said, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture. And Lord, we pray now, I, I'm asking because I desperately need you, to anoint my tongue, my mind, my eyes, that, that I might see and be able to communicate the truth of your word. God, give us listening ears. Give us the ears of a disciple that we can hear our Lord and Savior speak into our life and our heart. And Lord, may this day you be glorified in all that is said and done. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. As you go ahead and be seated. The, the first thing I want to point out in this uh, is that this isn't the first thing. They've got to go back to Egypt. And the condition Joseph set down was bring your brother with you. Now I told you this is a journey to salvation. And so I would like to add to, to that and say, guess what? When you come, you're supposed to bring somebody with you. In fact, the Bible tells us in Acts 1 that when the Holy Spirit comes to us, we will be his witnesses. And so if we're not his witnesses, we have to question whether we have God living with us. We have to question whether we have the Holy Spirit in our life because he came that we might be a witness for him. Now, I know that we can be a witness all the time and we should be everywhere. But we also need to be actively praying and trying to bring people to know the Lord. And so what I want to take you to take home with you today is this uh, little phrase. Hopefully there it is. Everyone is on a journey of salvation. Now, I just want to say something about that. Uh, I said it that way because that's simple. But everyone is not on a journey of salvation. Some are on a journey of 
to destruction. Jesus talked about a narrow way and a broad way. And those on the broad way need to take the nearest exit and get to the near, narrow way. Amen. And so, but they don't know how to do that. They don't know how to find their way. And so God sends us to help them. And I want you to keep in mind that as we're looking at this, we're supposed to be bringing a brother with us. And and so I just want to say one more little prayer. Lord, uh, we know that we are on a journey. All of us are on a journey of one kind or another. And we we remember, Lord, that if we are not bringing our brother with us, we've misheard, misused, and missed the commandment that you gave us. In Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew 28, he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel. Take that message everywhere you go. So as we look quickly at these chapters, the first point I'd like you to see, and we actually have to, uh, well, look at those first two verses, is that this journey is a costly journey. This journey to Joseph is a costly journey. It says there in the first two verses how severe that famine was. Everybody is starving. They have to go. There is no, this isn't a, well, if we can make it, we will. You got to get there. They have to get there in order to save their physical life. So I want you to understand that Jacob and the, and the, ten, uh, the 11 sons with him are going to die. Ten sons in this chapter because Simeon's in jail in Egypt. But, but these men... They are going to be lost without a savior. I just want you to think about it that way. They're going to die physically. But as we use this to illustrate our uh, people coming to know Christ, we understand that people apart from Christ are lost without a savior. And by lost, we don't mean just wandering around somewhere not knowing where they are. We mean that they are destined for an eternity in hell. Hell and heaven are real physical places. And all of us at the moment of death are going to one or the other. Either to hell or to heaven. Paul said in the, in the New Testament, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so we know that when uh, the wicked die, they also are immediately in the place where they will go. And so, but saying that, which people say, well, that's pretty negative. When I was a kid, I heard about this one preacher, and he was always preaching about people going to hell. And somebody said, man, you need to be a little more positive. So he said, okay. So next sermon he got up and said, people are positively going to hell. They don't get saved. So um, if you need some positivity, that's it. But but, but I I want you to understand, though, also as I do this, I do want to show both sides, that the Savior wants you to come to him because he has a heart of love. That God so loved the world that he gave his son that we could know him so that we could be saved and, and come to know him. And uh, in chapter 42 and verses 24 and 25, we're not going to read them. But um, the, when they were there before, Joseph gave them water, washed their feet. He gave their animals food. They prepared, uh, uh, they prepared to come and, and let him. But, but Joseph was welcoming them and, and was going to take care of them. He had a great desire to see his family saved, but he knew that he had to find out whether they were now trying to follow God instead of doing what they did to him. He wanted to see that repentance. We talked about two, two times ago. Last time uh, we talked about uh, 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 forgiveness and reconciliation. But I want you to understand that there's a cost in coming. There, first of all, is a cost to the father, right? Right here in these verses, you see he's got to give up his son. 
that he doesn't want to give up. It's the baby son is the, full, the only full-blooded brother to Joseph. Its name is Benjamin, which means son, Ben is son, and Ajamin is of my right hand or of my strength. Um, they just thought of the right arm being the stronger one. Left-handed folks, we know there are fewer of you, but you're in your right mind, so we appreciate that. Um, but, but the father is going to have to give up his son. But I'm not talking about Benjamin. I'm talking about Joseph. God the Father had to give up his son so that you could know God the Father. Don't miss that. You see, this journey doesn't cost you near as much as it costs God. That God would put on flesh and live amongst us. Live that perfect life. Showing, fulfilling all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Going to the cross, perfectly innocent, could be condemned of no crime. And dying in our place on a cross so that we could go free. You see, it's not only a cost to the Father. There's a great cost to the Son. That Jesus would have to come and live that life, which was... Tough enough as it was, because he didn't do that as God. If he'd have done it as God, he couldn't die for us because he'd have been dying for gods. He died for humans. You follow me? And so what he did while he was in that body, he didn't do that because he's God. He did that because God the Father had promised him the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in the book of John was given to him without measure. In other words, there was no hindrance. The reason the Spirit can't move in our lives is we, we claw, you know, how many of y'all ever drank out of a hose? Okay, good. Y'all's my people. Amen. All right. Yeah, exactly. But if, if something gets in that hose, uh, you know, it, it gets clogged with mud or some animal or whatever, and you turn that faucet on, that water's not going to come out harder. If you crank the hose, the water, when there's an obstruction in the hose, you're not going to get the water right? So Jesus had the Holy Spirit without obstruction. He was born like Adam was without sin. You say, well, how can I be born of a human mother without sin? Because it's passed on through the father and the blood of the father and the blood of the baby and the blood of the mother never mix. I've told you that before. I'm just going to say it quickly because I'll get lost in the details if I don't. And so Jesus was born with the same choice Adam had. You don't have the choice of Adam. You were born lost. Don't have to wait for you to decide to steal a cookie or yell back at your parents to know that you're a sinner. You were born a sinner. You need a Savior from conception. And so we trust the Savior for, for those that have not been able to make a choice. We just believe God knows what he's doing. But for those of us who have enough uh, life in us to understand things, you need to understand that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and Jesus came and acted as a man without sin. You can read about that in the scripture in Galatians and, other, and in Romans 5. That he was without sin. And so when we were born the first time we were born in Adam. When we were born again in Christ. We are born in Christ. We are no longer what we were in Adam. We are a brand new creation. And now the Holy Spirit can live in us. And he slowly is changing us into that image of Christ. But there is a cost to the son for that to happen. So salvation we talk about it as being free because it is. And if you go to any building that has an elevator, a couple of stories, you get to get on that elevator, punch a button, and go to that other place, that other spot in that building free of charge. 
That don't make the elevator cheap. In fact, it's pretty expensive. About the most expensive square footage in a building you can have. It costs the builder something for you to get the free ride to the top. It costs God something to give us salvation as a gift, as a free thing. And you need to understand that it is a costly journey, but it costs God more than it costs us. But it's a cost to us. These boys had to saddle up their camels and go back on an over 200 mile trip down into Egypt. And so I, I want you to see, uh, secondly, that the brothers, when they get to Joseph, they are coming with a sense of fear. They, 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 when they got back the first time and they opened the sacks of grain, their money that they paid for the grain is in the top of the sack. That's kind of freaked them out. They're like, oh no, what happened? We gave them the money. How to get back in the sack? So now they're in fear. We go back. They're going to accuse us of, of robbery, of stealing, and they're going to throw us all in prison. And Jacob said, here's what you're going to do. Get whatever some good stuff we got. We don't have a lot, but what we got, you take some, give it to him as a present. Here's the money from the first time, and here's a, a double of that because we need to buy grain and try to appease this man. So they are coming at it with fear and we see that in verses 15 and verse 18 of chapter 43 uh, as you as you look at it but again but instead of fear Joseph instead of judgment Joseph shows them kindness down in verses 31 to 34 uh, he had brought them into the house and he begins to serve them a meal uh, he's already met Benjamin. He had to cry, had to run out. And it starts in 43 after he'd washed his face and he came back because he didn't want them to realize that he was emotionally upset. <clears throat> but he sits them down to a meal. He prepares a banquet for them. And if you read the chapter in between there, they were coming in with fear. And in fact, as the servant brought them in, they said, hey, we don't know what happened, but the sacks, we opened them when we got home to get the grain and our money was in the top. So we brought that back. We brought these gifts. And here double the money and it's interesting that the servant said the God of your father has been kind to you he, they, they should have started catching on that somebody knew something about their dad that they didn't know that they knew and so Joseph only showed them kindness but did you hear what he said the kindness of God leads us to repentance let, let me just tell you something. How many of y'all woke up this morning? Yeah, yeah, y'all get to raise your hand on that one. Okay, that was an easy question. Y'all just are looking for complicated answers. All right. The kindness of God is why you're in here today. The kindness of God is why you woke up this morning. The kindness of God is why you can hear me. The kindness of God leads us to say Every moment, every breath we take. I, I, I really love a song from the 80s. Uh, you probably never heard it because it wasn't played on the radio. But it, it said, I'm going to celebrate this heartbeat because it just might be my last. We sing a praise song that the air in our lungs belongs to him. And we need to be a grateful people. We need to be breathing in and out gratitude all the time for the kindness and the goodness of God. And so these, these gentlemen were afraid and so Joseph is going to leverage that fear to bring them so that he can understand and that they can understand that they need to repent and bring them to that place of true repentance I may say some things I've already said before forgive me because I've kind of alluded to this a lot but 
Stay with me. See, Joseph made the punishment a real possibility. At the end of chapter 43, he tells the servants, fill up their sacks with grain, put all the money they brought back in it, but take my cup and put it in Benjamin's sack. We're going to let them go. Then I'm going to send you after them, and you're going to arrest them and bring them back for stealing my cup. Okay, this is the plan we got. These guys, you know, back then you didn't go, oh, well, I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. Why are we doing that? They just obeyed. So that's what they did. They went and did what, what he said. And so Joseph is going to engineer a circumstance where he can bring judgment on to watch their reaction. And as I said, that's in the first 13 verses of chapter 44. This whole plan that, that he is, is doing. And we get down to verse 6. They, they, they overtook them and they find this, uh, this cup in the sack. And says, hey, that was a dumb move because Joseph can perform divination. In fact, Joseph uh, quotes that uh, to them. And down in verses 12, and, and he says, no, we're going to put Benjamin in jail. He's already released Simeon. Simeon's at that banquet with them. Uh, they kept him so they would come back with, he kept him so they'd come back with Benjamin. But look at verses 12 to 14. Joseph brought them into the fear of judgment. Not only did they come in with fear, not only did he make judgment a possibility, now he's going to make it look like he's actually going to execute that judgment judgment. Uh, and, and verse, um, yeah, as I said, verse 12 uh, to 14, he tells them Benjamin's going to have to go to prison. And Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house. He was, at verse 14, he was still there and they fell for him on the ground. And Joseph said, what is this, this thing that you have done? Do you not know a man like me can indeed practice divination? Now, J Joseph doesn't practice divination. That's just how they understood it. And he made that up to scare them, okay? Um, he, the Lord would tell him stuff from time to time. But to practice divination means that you know what the future is going to be as a practice. And that's an occultic thing. He's living in the midst of an occultic people. He's not claiming that. He's scaring them with that. And so the brothers now realize their sin toward Joseph. And in fact, Joseph uh, said, goes on to say, what should... Uh, Judah says, what shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Now that applies immediately, but also applies to what they did to Joseph. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both he, we and he in whose hand the cup has been found. He's saying, we're, hey, we're yours, man. We're your servants. We're not here to hurt you. And Joseph says this, far be it from me, that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go in peace to your father. A couple of things there. They are saying, hey, we're one. We're all guilty. It's not one man guilty. We're all guilty. And all of this, what I wanted you to catch is this. And I've said it. But I'm going to put a finer point on it. You were born guilty. You were born. You ought to have fear of judgment. Because judgment is coming. You say, well, I'm saved. Yeah, and you'll be judged for what you did as a Christian. Just not for heaven or hell. And what you did that wasn't so great. And anybody in here ever done something wasn't so great? Yeah, I thought so. It's going to be burned up. And the only thing remains are the things we did for God. And that is what we get uh, to bring into heaven with us. And, and so I want you to see that. And Joseph is... Understanding that, he's bringing them to this place. And then when they say, no, 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 take, all of us are guilty. He says, no, no, that's not true. Only he is guilty. 
But see, when you do come to the Savior, you don't, you don't come as a group. You come as an individual. And then you're put into a group called the church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he, he's telling them, I'm not going to bend on this. We're go, I'm going to keep Benjamin. Now, remember, two different mindsets. Joseph's like, that'd be cool if I got to keep Benjamin because then I'd just tell Benjamin and we'd, I'd make him happy here in Egypt. <laughs> but those guys are thinking, oh no, we go back without Benjamin, dad's going to die. In fact, at the last part of this chapter, that's the speech Judah gives him and it's the speech Joseph was waiting to hear. Because Judah offers himself and says, please, don't keep Benjamin. It'll kill our father. But I want you to hear what Joseph said back there in verse 17. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found shall be my servant. But as for you, go in peace to your father. That ought to remind you of something that was about 24 years ago now. 22 to 24 years ago. When they took their youngest brother then... And threw him in a pit. And if you remember when we went over that. Then they sat down and ate a meal. They sold him into slavery. Took the coat of authority. Dipped it in blood and carried it back to their dad. And they went in peace to their father and said. Something happened to Joseph. And they've been living that lie. He is giving them the same opportunity to do that to Benjamin. He's recreated the scene and stepping back to go, how will they handle it this time? And the guy who said, let's not kill him, let's sell him into slavery, is now saying, I will become your slave. Please let him go. All right? You follow me? You with me there? So, they realized their sin. See, Benjamin was favored like Joseph, just to expand that just a touch. When they, he fed them back in chapter 43, they gave Benjamin five times as much. I know I told you that already. But think about it. Joseph was favored by his father and got more stuff than they did. Joseph is recreating the scene that he went through to see what his brother's reaction will be. How will you react when the baby is elevated above you and gets a little bit more than you got? And just prophetically, symbolically, they put the cup in Benjamin's sack. In Zechariah 12, it talks about at the end of time that Jerusalem become a cup of trembling. You can look at this up, Zechariah chapter 12. It will become a cup of trembling. And since 1947, all the trembling in the world has been centered about what's happening in Israel. When, when we got to go to Iraq and, and, and Afghanistan, we're, and, and there have been cases in my life where we've told Israel, you, you stand down, we'll take care of it for you because we don't want you getting, getting there. And guess where Jerusalem is? Talked about making Jerusalem a cup of trembling. Guess where Jerusalem is? It's in the land of the tribe of Benjamin. This is foreshadowing a whole lot. But thirdly, about Benjamin, I just want you to see what I said. He could, they could have just gone home and left him. They could have treated Benjamin like they treated him. But Judah comes and says, let me say something to you. And with an interpreter, he tells the whole story. He doesn't say, we had another brother and we killed him. He just says, we had another brother and he's dead. So Joseph's going, well, at least he acknowledges that they think I'm dead. Right? And then he tells the whole story. And at the end, he says, let the boy go back. Look at verse 33. Let the boy go back with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? 
One day you're going to stand before God. And he's going to say, remember that guy you work with? Why isn't he here? Or that lady. Remember that neighbor I had you buy a house or they moved in next door to you? Where are they? You know that loved one that you're too afraid because you're related? I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to witness to family and it is to strangers. Well, first of all, they know what a mess up you are too, right? And so you're like, well, what are they going to think? They're going to think, wow, God must have done something if they're different now, right? But God is going to hold us accountable for who we bring with us. Don't lose that theme in this whole story we have here. You see, we are seeing in chapter 45 the forgiveness of the Savior. Look at verse 1. Well, the first three verses, Joseph couldn't control himself. He said, everybody get out of here. Get out now. And we come down to verse 3. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed in his presence. Talked about that last week. They were terrified. You see, the forgiveness that you get is because somebody else paid for it. Somebody else paid for it. We, we sang that simple song. We were one in the spirit. One of the first songs I learned to play on guitar is three chords and the truth. Okay, that's, that's the kind of song it is. Simple song with great meaning. Pastor Andy helped us with that. That, that we are one in him. And, and I love that. But we used to sing another song called I owed a debt I couldn't pay. He paid a debt he couldn't know. He didn't know. Friend, we you owe God a debt you can't pay except in hell. Because God is a just God and he will punish sin. So either you can pay for it yourself or there's someone who will step between you and the Father and say, "I will take that." In military terms, Jesus was a bullet sponge for us. The wrath of the Father was directed toward us in Ephesians. It says the wrath of God's revealed against all wickedness. And Jesus became wickedness on a cross and absorbed that punishment. In Isaiah 51, it says, It pleased the Father to bruise him for our iniquities, for our sins. Someone has already paid the price. You don't have to pay it again. If, if Brother Brad and I were down there at the grocery store, whatever store, and I was behind him in line, and he bought $250 worth of stuff, and he paid them. Just like, man, that's pocket change to me. No, I'm kidding you, bro. And he paid that, and then I step up, and I'm just following him out because I wasn't buying anything. I was just with him. He was shopping. And the, and the, and the cashier there says, excuse me, sir, wait, 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 whoa. You, you got you to gotta pay $250. I, I, didn't put any, I didn't put anything up here. I don't know you anything. You can search me. I'm not stealing anything. I, I don't even, no, no, sir. Store policy. If you're in line and you don't have something to buy, you got to pay the same thing as the guy in front of you. Now you'd say that would be grossly unfair. Exactly. You see, the only unfair person in this whole story that things are unfair toward, it's unfair to God that you're a Christian. It is unfair to, the, to God that you are saved. Because he did not have to pay the price for us. He could have stepped back and said, man, they messed up and killed us all and let it go. And he would have been just and right because he's God and he makes the rules. But instead, the rule he made was sin will have to be paid for and I will pay for it. And the most amazing verse to me in all of the scripture is in Revelation where it says, He is the lamb slain from before the foundation of the worlds. 
Before God even spoke creation into being, he knew that he would come to this little planet to a rebellious people and become one of us and absorb all of our guilt and sin from Adam to the last man. And on a cross, he would die in our place for that sin. That's the Savior we serve. But when you get to the Savior, here's the big, big deal. You find out it's your brother. You find out it's your brother. Jesus said, I no longer call you brothers. I call you friends. And the Bible tells us we are joint heirs with Christ. We are children of God. He makes us part of the family. We're adopted in because we're not God but we are children of God. We are adopted in as children. We find out when we get to the Savior that all along it was our brother who loved us and wanted to save us and was providing for our needs with grace because they never paid for any grain. I don't know if you caught that. They thought they had to. He said, no, I got you. There are people in churches, I don't believe they're not saved, but they don't understand yet. You can't add to salvation. You can't do anything to make God any happier than he already is. You can't do anything to make him love you more. If you lived a million years and you got better every day of your life, God would not love you any more at the end of a million years than he loves you right now. And conversely, if you got worse and became a worse sinner for a million years, at the end of a million years, he wouldn't love you any less. His love is complete. His love is for us. He it's our brother. And how are you going to throw your brother out? That's how sure our salvation is. You see, the suffering and death he went through was for you, not for himself. And all that waiting and all that fear that those brothers were going through, the whole time Joseph had a banquet waiting for him. Reminds me that in Revelation... It describes this, we call it the banquet supper or the supper of the lamb, the wedding supper of the lamb, the wedding banquet of the lamb. And that all the redeemed of all the ages will be seated. And here's the weird part. And Jesus himself will serve us. About made myself cry there. Because that don't make no sense. At all. He said, the Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And when we get there, and we are his bride, spotless and without wrinkle, the whole church, from the beginning of time to the end of time, he himself will serve us that supper. I think we miss that when we talk about the banquet supper of the Lamb. And we will realize that our Savior was our brother all along. And so that's why he wants you to bring your brother to the Savior. He doesn't want you to get there by yourself. So how can you apply some of this? Well, here's the first thing. Before, before you know where you're going, you need to know where you are. So many times we get in the car and, and I'm going to pick on my wife just, just a bit, not really picking on her. But my wife is a go, go, go person. I'm a let's wait and see person, okay? So we balance each other out. But that means if we, let's say we're just going out to eat or we want to go somewhere and take a walk. 
We'll get in the car not knowing where we're going. And she'll get to the end of the driveway, and I'm going, wait, wait, wait. And she's going, and she pulls out. I said, where are we going? She goes, I don't know. Where you want to go? We're already heading in a direction. We don't even know where we're going. <laughs> you got to know where you are to figure out what angles you need to, to get to where you want to get be, right? If, if I wanted to go to Washington, I would not go east on 64, or, 80, or south on 81, I'd go north on 81. Catch that road to Washington, right? Listen, you want to get to the Savior, you better figure out where you are. And it's called the broad road. And the broad road is easy. It's an easy trip. You can, even find, you can find so-called preachers and churches on that broad road. There are Broadway churches and preachers. Do you know that? But Jesus said, my path's a narrow way. It's only room for two people, you and me. And if you want to get on the narrow way, he says, eh, it's a small opening, it's hard to find, but you find it in him. That's the opening. It's not about church, it's not about money, it's not about giving, it's not about serving, it's about knowing him. Because he's not a crutch that we limp into heaven with, he's a stretcher that carries us in. And you need to know that. So before you know where you're going, you better figure out, so I'm, I'm asking you, figure out where you are. Are you in the faith? Or are you out of the faith? Are you with Christ? Or are you just intellectually know about him? Do you know Christ? Secondly, ask yourself this question. Who am I bringing with me on this journey? Who am I dragging with me? And I've used that term very loosely. Who am I bringing to the Savior with me? I love the stories of the four disciples, Andrew and Peter and Philip and Nathaniel, that when they met the Savior, they ran and got their brother. Ran and got the other one. Who are you bringing with you? And then thirdly, there's going to be a big banquet table. But Psalm 23 lets me know there's a banquet here even in the presence of my enemies. In other words, he said, sit down, relax. I got it. Take it easy. Enjoy. Because I got you. This family is going to die without a Savior. And if they died, you won't be sitting here. As we've gone through Genesis, we see that bloodline of Christ. And every once in a while, it hangs by a thread. One person. One person's almost dead. Only one heir. Will they have children? Whoa, we're too old to have children. But yet we have children. There, it just over and over. And this is another thinning point in that line. There's a famine. God has preserved Joseph. He's the one guy down there ready to rescue them. And God had to bring Joseph through a lot of pain and suffering to get to that spot. Jesus came and went through that pain and suffering of living that perfect life and dying on the cross so that he could bring you to salvation. But if this family had not lasted, if it, Judah, who is the one that finally gets it and is the one who expresses that confession, is going to be the father of the tribe that is going to bring us to Jesus. And so, the, why does the Bible spend three whole chapters on them going back and forth and getting grain in this whole story? It's so you understand what the Savior did for you. He took a longer journey from heaven to earth that you could know him. And he set a table for you if you'll just come and eat. Come to the table he has set for you. The wine of forgiveness, the bread of his love.